Today, many Jewish families don't send their children to private Jewish day school. Some parents homeschool, others don't live near a school, and others simply cannot afford full-time Jewish day school. Each of these families needs a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. Kita can help. Kita is serious online Torah learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school-aged children receive up to four online lessons each week and also participate in weekly Zooms with other kids from around the world. For the coming school year, Kita offers two plans. In the Chumash and Navi plan, students will receive two self-guided lessons in Chumash Shmot and Navi Shmuel Aleph, and then participate in a weekly Zoom. In the Mishnah and Gemara plan, students will receive two self-guided lessons in Mishnah Brachot and Gemara Elu Metziot, and then participate in a weekly Zoom. Registration is now open for the fall of 2022, which begins on August 29th. Is your family new to Kita? You can register for a two-week trial at no cost. To learn more about how Kita can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org. That's K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. everybody welcome to rz weekly our weekly pod no weekly still weekly rz not really weekly this summer our not really weekly podcast about religious zionism and modern orthodoxy and all that stuff my name is ruvain spolter i'm here with harab johnny solomon hello harab johnny hello hello to you oh, both the dulcet tones rav johnny is a teacher at matan midrash at lindenbaum he is an editor at mosaic press an independent editor and writing coach but most importantly, he's a virtual rabbi providing online spiritual coaching, halacha consultations, and one-to-one learning. Rabbi Jani writes on Daf Yomi, produces a weekly online Chumash Rashi Shir, conducts online schmoozes and author interviews. Johnny, is there anything new that you'd like to add to this extensive list of tasks? Some, some are going processes of uh, reconsideration, reconfiguration, but all is good, thank God, and uh, it's been a busy summer. It's been a busy summer. You were in England for a while, uh, you? You I'm a rabbi of, of Zehud, which is an online school for Jewish uh, children in Europe. Rabbi of yeah, Zehud, you also are visiting scholarly residents. Uh, has anybody snapped you up for the holidays yet? Not for this, and no, I'm staying here for that, but uh, for the coming few months, we're making some plans. Ah, Shatova. Okay. Uh, we're here with our Rabbanit Mali Bravsky. Hello, Rabbanit Mali Bravsky. Hello. Uh, Mali is a Jewish educator specializing in Machshev Israel. She lectures and has held a number of academic and administrative positions and is now a senior faculty member and mental health professional at MMY and also works as a field advisor for YU's Wordswire, the School of Social Work in Israel. She has published and lectured extensively on Jewish thought, other topics, as well as issues of emotional health and the interaction between the two fields. How's your summer going? It's You're like good. a world traveler this summer. I am a world traveler this summer, that is correct. Sounds tiring. It sounds fun, but very tiring. It's tiring, but it's important. So. Ah, okay, good. I am Ruven Spolter. I'm the Director of Educational Development at Herzog Global, which is the global division of the Herzog College in Israel. 
I'm also the Shorashim representative at Sohar for English-speaking speaking countries. And I founded and direct Kita.org, which provides online, a lear, online learning platform for Jewish children and families and schools around the world. That's also a mouthful. Uh, is there anything else on there? Uh, oh, yeah. And I have the, the, uh, the, uh, I'm the, uh, the uh, developer, I don't know, creator of the Mishnah Project. So we're doing, actually, today's the last day of Masechet Trumot. We're recording on Erev, Erev, Erev Tishaba, which is important to note. And uh, so if you'd like to start joining two Mishnah today, we start Ma'asrot tomorrow, which by the time you hear this might have been today, to the day before yesterday. But uh, Mishnah Yomit, <laughs> two Mishnah today, people have told me it changes their life. So really uh, join the Mishnah program, do it. You'll, you will never regret learning two Mishnah today. Anyway, today, as we come up to, and I, as I mentioned, we're doing this book during the nine days, as we approach the the the, the holiday, the Chag, the fast day of Tisha B'Av, we thought that it would be appropriate to address the issue of Aliyah Lahar Habayit, the idea of going up to visit the Temple Mount nowadays, today. And in order to sort of frame the discussion before we tune to our, uh, our, uh, our, uh, our guest, not our guest, our co- my co-host, I-, I think that for me, it starts with the idea that that um, we believe, I believe, as a religious Zionist, that in my ideology, we do not consider ourselves passive members of Jewish history, that we just wait for Jewish history to wash over us, and that whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides is going to happen, that's what's going to happen. That's not how Jewish history has developed, at least for Zionists and religious Zionists, over the past hundred years in any way, shape, or form. If Jews just waited for the State of Israel to be built, we wouldn't have a State of Israel. We would have no Jewish state. God only knows, Lo'aleinu, what would have happened. You know? And the idea that we're just passive and we're waiting for things to happen is, uh, is, is something that, that uh, uh, is, I think, against our ideolo- ideology. It's not part of our ideology. And yet, when it comes to Har Habayit, so at least from a halachic perspective, until recent years, we were expected to be entirely passive. And my Mali and uh, Johnny, I shared with you... Uh, you know, uh, a document signed by the chief rabbis of Israel, but it's not just the chief rabbis today who are not as popular as they used to be, but like chief rabbis from Rav Kook all the way on through the entirety of the chief rabbi dom have always issued a psak halacha that is usher to go up to Harabayit, and many, many, many rabbis agreed with them for many different reasons. So it was always considered to be that prohibited, asur to go up to Harabayit. Right? You don't go out, you're not allowed to do it. Why? Because it's incredibly kadosh. It's a violation of the holiness of Harabayit. So on the one hand, you have religious leadership telling you not to do it. But on the other hand, you have, you, you, you sort of, it's a use it or lose it kind of thing. You know, like, and, and, and if you don't go up and you don't go there, then we see Jewish control of Harabayit and, we, you know, every day, every year in Yom Yerushalayim, the idea of Harabayit Biadenu, the famous quote from the Six Day War, you know, it's a parody of itself because we realize just how much Harabayit is not Biadenu. And uh, we have no control over Harabayit. And I think for this reason, for this reason, um, many, many Jews and organizations are promoting the idea of the importance of Jewish people going up and visiting, at least visiting, if not praying, Harabayit. Because it, we have to take control of it. We have to engage in our ideology and take an active role and be part of the redemption, not only of the state of Israel, but also the Beit HaMikdash. We're about to sit on the floor and mourn, you know, among many other things, the destruction of the Bechorban of the Beit HaMikdash. 
But maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu at us and saying, what do you want from me? I gave you the state. You're supposedly in control. What are you doing to build the Beit HaMikdash? That's a very strong indictment. So I guess I'd start with this. I would, I would ask each of you to comment by saying, first and foremost, A, have you been to Har Habayit? And B, do you think that Jews should go to Har Habayit and why? I guess, Molly, I'll start with you. Oh boy, I like you start with Johnny because then he like, you know, frames everything so beautifully and then I'm like, wow, I should have said it that way. <laughs> Do you want to go Johnny? First? No All chance. Right? No, no, no. Well, then you can rebut. Okay. Then you're like, then you're always like, oh, I want to say this. All right, fine. Um, I have been to Harabai. Um Why? Okay, so, so I'm going to take your why as an opportunity to maybe address some of the things that you said. I, I agree with you that I agree with a lot of what you said, but I, I just want to share my like, perspective on this like because I, for me like even when you said um as religious zionists we believe that we make things happen right and i 100 percent agree with that i just want to add the layer that i think as religious zionists i believe i don't want to say we because this is like my own personal perspective i believe that there's also a theological ethical element to that we make things happen meaning we're in partnership with god we make things happen, but we, I, I also remember the Ma'apilim, right? When it's not time and we're not ready and, and um, we're not ready because we are ethically not in the correct place, our Ben Adam Lechavero, our unity is not in the correct place, we can't push things that God is not ready to give us. And I I really do believe that, that the dynamic of um, things moving forward in the historical slash political realm is intrinsically connected to the dynamic of things of, of how the Jewish people functions in the state of Israel in their own personal behavior and their own interpersonal behavior. Um, I'll, I'll say as an aside that when I teach Sefer Shoftim, I think it's very, very clear. Like they were able to conquer the less Kadosh places first. The holier a place was, the longer it took to get it. And I'm not saying that, that we're necessarily in that same place today, but I think it's interesting, right? I think that the, the, the more um, sacred and the more kedusha there is in a place, the more we have, the, 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 the less obvious it is that it falls into our hands with simplicity and ease. And I think we have to take that also as a as a as a message and a moral for my, for ourselves. Now that was all an introduction to say to you that um, I think a, a couple of things. First of all, there are definitely Jews who go to Harabayit to make that political statement, as you said, use it or lose it, and there's validity to that, and I'm not disagreeing with that. I think there's another phenomenon happening, and I think that's a phenomenon which maybe I plug into a little bit more, which is that like when I was little, no, there was like no havamin of going up to Harabait. Like nobody went to Harabait, right? And maybe we'll discuss a little bit later, like the dynamic between the Kotel and Harabait, right? The Kotel is the place and Harabait is like, nobody goes to Harabait. And, you know, I'm thinking from, from the time I was five until the time I, I don't know when I went to Harabait in my um, 30s or 40s, whenever I went, um, more and more people had started to go to Harbite, and I started to hear about it more and more, and it became more accepted in our community. And now maybe it's the people that I was hearing from, because I, my, the people that I was hearing who were going to Harbite were not going for political reasons, except maybe for like, you know, one or two people that I know who are, you know, involved in politics. But most of the people that I knew were going for religious regions and spiritual. When, when I say political, I mean geopolitical. I mean Israel-Arab. Yes. I don't mean yes. like... I don't mean like no, no, you know, no, geopolitical. Like meaning, yeah. I have a neighbor who is uh, a, p a politician, and she said, "Like you, use it or lose it. It drives me crazy. We have to, you know, the more presence we have of Jews on our bayit, the more 
and it's fine, you know, and like we don't have to have I'm not interested in the political conversation. But that okay. not at all that was not at all my certainly not my primary impetus at all. For me, it was hearing more and more people say, you know, I'm going to Harabayat. You know, I went to Harabayat. Um, I started learning about Tum of Atara and I started like appreciating um the, the, the idea of the sanctity of Harabayat, right? When I learned um, you know, when I went, when I was doing Dafyomi and and you know, there's so much Mikdash talk, right? This sense and, and for me, it ties into Rav Cook. Rav Cook has this beautiful idea of like Kedusha being concentrated and then kind of, you know, flowing out in concentric circles to the world. And it's so clear that the, the, the place of the high, to me at least, and again, I'm speaking kind of, kind of quasi-mystical terms, but this is how, this is my spiritual, I'm sharing a little bit of my spiritual orientation, right? It's clear to me that the, that just the, the concentration, the ultimate concentration of spirituality is there on Harabite. Now, what does that mean? Are we miyale bahar Hashem? Are we worthy? Are we not worthy? Right? Those are very hard questions. Um, but I, I do think that like part of the, my decision making is like I see who's going, I see why they're going. You understand what I'm saying? Like if I see that it's all just political maneuvering, that's not for me. If I see that it's all messia- messianic fervor, that's not for me. When I see that we're talking about people who it's about the opportunity to, with great humility, um, avail themselves of an opportunity that we're, we are being given by God historically, then I feel like it's like with great trepidation and awe, but maybe it's almost like, you know, like like, like you said before, like if a Kodesh Baruch Hu was giving us this opportunity and I feel comfortable saying Hashem is okay with this, obviously I don't have a hotline to Hashem, but in the sense that like, you know, it, it's, I, it's, I don't, the people who are going are people who I think are ethical, proper people. The people who are giving Hatayram are ethical, proper people. As a short aside, the, my, I went, my husband and I went, and David said he would only go with Rav Yitzhak Levi, right? He was, there's like a million people take people up to Harabite. He's like, I'm only going with Rav Yitzhak Levi, who was a um, Rosh Yeshiva, or, or no, not, I don't know if he's Rosh Yeshiva, what's his, I don't know what his, anybody know what his title is at Yeshivat Haratzion? He definitely teaches at Yeshivat Haratzion. He's an expert on Yerushalayim and Harabite. And he gives us a year of Harabite. David said, I'm only going with him because that is a purely spiritual um, experience, a historical spiritual experience, let's say, right? And, and I'm only going, I'm only going with Yitzchak Levi. So we did. And obviously you have to learn the halachot and you have to learn how to do it. And there's a whole other issue of women in Harabite, which, you know, we can either talk about or not talk about. Um, I, I'm very, it's very important to me that certainly married women know that they are allowed to go to Harabai. Um, there was definitely, there's definitely ways to do that. The um, Heter. And it was, I, I, can't, I don't even want to talk with the experience because I don't want to describe it because again, it's like, tell me about your Yom Kippur. I'm not telling you about my Yom Kippur, right? My Yom Kippur is mine. It's my deeply spiritual experience. So the same with Harabai. It, it's, I, I, re- I really do think about it as Yom Kippur, right? Because Yom Kippur is, to go back to that Rav Cook, right? Rav Cook talks about Tushat Zman, Tushat Makom, Tushat Adam, right? So he says Yom Kippur is the holiest person on the holiest day in the holiest place, right? So we all have a sense of that holiness that we can kind of try to um, uh, reach on the holiest, in the holiest time on Yom Kippur. Going to Harabayit is being in or getting close to the holiest place. And that is absolutely incredible. And I think that, and I'll close with this, I, I think that notwithstanding with the people who are going to Harabite for, again, what you want to call political reasons, I think there is a sort of hitoru de la tata, you know what I mean? Like that people are starting to be called 
to the mountain. I know that sounds bizarre, but it's, I think it's, we discuss a lot the like changes in the country, the like sea changes, right? The, the more Masoret Sea than ever, all that stuff. I think this is one of those sea changes where we're going to higher buy it has become more normalized and not only for um, political reasons, but for personal spiritual reasons. Chatanim and going um, on their wedding day, all kinds of examples like that, right? Um, yeshivot are taking their, their students with their Rosh Yeshiva. It's becoming, this, it's becoming more normalized. And to me, that's not only a, like, I'm not only happy for those people, but I see that historically as like, cautiously I say this, but I see that historically as like, you know, I hope it's a sign of, you know, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is gracing us with that with all the complexities and all the ups and downs. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Johnny, have you gone to Harabayit? And if so, or if not, why? Well, I'm just processing what Maya yeah, said. Seriously. It was actually so, so beautiful. Um, so I'm kind of reluctant to say anything. I'd rather just take a breath and let that... Uh, okay, that so, you know, we'll take our early, or take our break here. We'll stop for a couple <laughs> seconds. We'll take a we'll break have, We'll hear about That's Johnny's uh, online rabbi. And we'll come back with Johnny's answer right after this. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon. And I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with a magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. All right, Johnny, you've had a few minutes to think about uh, Molly's question and uh, Molly's response. (laughs) The magic of editing. have you been to Harabayit? Let's focus. Have you been to Harabayit? And if so, or if not, how come? I've not been to the Harabayit, although as it happens right now, I'm teaching a course about the history of the Temple Mount and recently interviewed a number of people who are heavily involved in taking people to Harabayit. Just a couple of days ago, I interviewed Rabbi Yoda Glick. I also interviewed Ophir Dayan, two different people heavily involved from from slightly different worlds, or very different worlds, each offering their own perspective. And this course has also given me an opportunity to, I suppose, reevaluate what I think of my own personal interests, loyalties, duties, and challenges of going up to the Har. Why, as mentioned before, certainly not just when I was younger, but even until recently, the Masoa that I received from my teachers is this is not something that we do uh, it's not to diminish the aura and an absolute um, recognition of the sanctity of the harabite it's precisely because we're supposed to be aware of that and that's certainly uh, 
been the way I've been encouraged to think. And as a levy, and I, you know, nobody's kind of pulling rank here, but just on a daily basis, I genuinely think about the Avodah. I genuinely, you know, hope for a time where my washing the hands of Kohanim isn't just in, you know, a sink outside, you know, the bathroom in my shul. Uh, and, and, and these things are very meaningful to me. So That's why, that's why you practice Harabite. the piano, but you've you got to learn some of those ancient instruments. And I sing on Shabbos too. Um, so it, it's not for lack of yearning. Uh, there is a sense of fear um, of of wanting to do it right. At times there are moments of questioning whether I myself are ready to to be in the right mindset to go to such a sacred place. And at the same time, there's also a question of given the what, what my teachers have taught me and given the kind of halachic masorah from which they came from, who am I at this moment in time to necessarily act differently to them, notwithstanding my appreciation for what, all that the Harabite is, and, and fascination, in fact, of this increased trend of people coming up. And it's just worthwhile mentioning, although we're speaking about this now a couple of days before Tisha B'Av, and I said I'm teaching this course, this is a topic we've discussed that we were going to discuss for a while. I, I think, you know, here's something which was really considered to be something that a real handful of people would attempt to do in our youth, and most of us would kind of say, ugh, it's them folk, you know, trying to build a third better Mikdash. And it's become normalized. And now I think this year, 50,000 Jews are going to go up to the Harabayit. And, you know, very righteous and very thoughtful and very sincere people are going to the Harabayit. And even those who, like Ravarishtan, who say he himself hasn't, he's quite clear that others who do are... Uh, on the right side of halacha, meaning there are there's legitimacy to do so, and so yeah, there's been interest shifts in the tectonic plates of how we relate to the harabayit, and that leads me to ask myself whether I should undergo a shifting. So that's where I'm at right now is asking myself those questions, given the things that I'd said previously. Uh, just briefly, you mentioned that it was always prohibited to go to the harabayit. So recently. I was able to do a bit of work in, in light of this course I was teaching, and, and I was given a bonus boost because the most recent edition of the Segula magazine, if anybody gets it, contains a fascinating essay by Professor Meyer Lowenberg, who discusses the history of Jews going up to the Harabayit. And firstly, there's always been a, a, a battle about whether Jews can go up, can't go up, not from religious reasons, for political reasons, basically after the Churban Bait Shani. Uh, there were times when they could, times when they couldn't, and, and this back and forth is something which he explains in great detail. And it's only the way he tells this story, I haven't spent enough time myself independently researching, but only about five, six hundred years ago when the religious dimension of being much more cautious seems to come into play, meaning there was a time when, when Jews could go up, they did go up, you know, the records of Rambam going to the Harabite uh, and other um, great scholars, uh, and then there seemed to a point where we people said, actually, we're not so sure. A greater caution came into the tone of halachic discourse, and that caution has actually snowballed such that, as I say, until 30, 40 years ago, that was a default. I it is say, fascinating that it orthodox. became the, to the absolute agreed default, that it's, um, that it's right. completely prohibited to consider going up. I mean, that was the... That was, you know what I'm Notwithstanding saying? Psakim from very, very important poskim who aren't so absolute blanket in their rulings. And then 
um, you know, in recent decades for a whole variety of reasons uh, in terms of shifts in Israel and shifts in politics and shifts in, in, in the way in which the Temple Mount is being managed, that a movement that used to be a handful of people now became, you know, uh, something which uh, is encouraging many more to go. And I read articles of, you know, say of great people, men and women, who go up to the Harabayat, and uh, it fascinates me. It fascinates me in terms of where this is going to go and also the experiences of those who have gone. And that's something which I asked about uh, to Rabbi Glick and uh, Phil Dayan. Like, kind of, what is it, you know, what do you feel when you're there? Which is obviously a very private thing, but nevertheless, because they go quite often, I think they've had a chance to process that a little bit more. Um, and I'd say just one further wait, wait, thing. Wait, what they say? Back, I'm really is, curious if you don't mind. Uh... I, I think that they both, they, they've, they're trying in different ways. Uh, let's start with Rabbi uh, uh, Glick. I mean, he has a very universal understanding of what it should be the Beit Hamikdash, which is not his idea. It's actually the the words of of Shlomo Melech that the that the Temple, the Temple Mount, should be a place where all people come. And he sees now that all people are coming, and he wants the Harabite to be a place where all people should be able to come. And there is a kind of strange situation where here in Israel. We don't restrain anybody from, you know, worshipping God in their own unique way. The one place where those rules seem to be different is a Harabite. He's not trying to push for revolution. He's not trying to advocate for violence. He's kind of saying, why shouldn't we be able to go there? Uh, he believes that the greater presence of all visitors actually creates a more peaceful atmosphere. Yeah, but that, that was my Harabite. question. My question you asked about his experience. What did, did he share with that? Huh. So, so I, I think he, he describes, uh, I don't want to put words in somebody else's mouth, but he gave a few anecdotes and how seeing people of different nations coming there on the Harabite is a, a, a diluted expression, shall we say, of the kiyom of the words of the prophets, of people coming together in Jerusalem. Hmm. And, and, and there's something magnificent about that. Uh, notwithstanding the absence of a temple there, that's that's. That's part of the issue, but in fact, I'll just quickly take you back. In terms of this course that I was teaching, one of the points I raised was, you know, was a better Mikdash more about our relationship with God, relationship with others? And Chazal, you know, discuss this at great length. They discuss it in terms of the causes they give for the Churban. And they certainly emphasize that there's a strong Ben Adam Lechaverot element to what was a function of this Bet Hashem, of this house of God. And... And we see this in, you know, in, in Malachim, we see this in the Gemarot. And so uh, what Rabbi Glick was basically saying is, I'm given some sense of solace when people are coming together there and wishing to connect to God in this sacred space. For, to his mind, there's something very powerful about that. And I was moved by that. Okay, so I'm going to answer my own questions and sort of uh, share with my, my, my dilemma. Uh, as I shared with you guys, I shared with you in uh, almost 20 years ago, I gave a speech in Young Israel Evoke Park, and it was about the time that Yossi Balin was negotiating, I don't know with who, about uh, some kind of peace plan. And uh, it came up that they were considering giving up sovereignty, Jewish sovereignty over the Harabai. And I gave a real fire and brimstone speech about, uh, you know, Yadati that Yaakov Avinu didn't know and quote, quoted the Midrash. And I basically took the use it or lose it kind of perspective. And uh, really, a really very, very strong speech. At the end, one of my the shul members came up to me and he said, Rabbi, if you're willing to go up with me to Harabite, I will fly you to Israel. 
And I was like, ooh, free trip to Israel. And called up my Rabbanim, who are religious Zionist Rabbanim, and they're like, er, no, we don't, think that, we don't think that you should do it. And since then, none of them have really changed their minds. And these are people that I respect and are not extremists in any way. And uh, so I have also have not, have not been up to Har Habayi. Now, I, I, I would say this, with, with regarding, you know, Mali, your, your idea of the spiritual perspective. So I guess, I mean, uh, I'm like as, um, what's the word? Misnagdish as you can get, like raised in the tradition of like Ish Halakha. Like for me, Judaism is fulfillment of Halakha, like the mitzvot. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, here's what I want you to do, and that's what I do. And like God never said to me, like I'm not aware of a mitzvah to go visit Har Habayit. I'm aware of a mitzvah of Aliyah Regel. I'm aware of a mitzvah to bring korbanot. I'm aware of a mitzvah to bring to 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 build the mikdash and to do all of the things connected. But I'm not aware that a Kaddish Baruch Hu said, "I want you to come and feel my presence on this mountain." That's that's that's, that's the meaning. So that I'm saying not I'm not negating or minimizing your experience in any way. But so for me to say, oh, I want to feel spiritual, I guess, I don't know. Right now, it doesn't, I don't understand that. It just doesn't, it's not my, it's not in my world, in my, my worldview. At the same time, the use it or lose it thing really resonates with me. I mean, you can see just how critical Har Habayit, like, you know, the Temple Mount, whatever you want to call it, plays in the geopolitical position of Israel today. Like, like the government of Israel fell because of Har Habayit, quite literally, because of ridiculous claims about Jewish, you know, Jewish sovereignty and changing the status quo that were just totally made up and false, surrounding what? Surrounding Har Habayit. We can see that it plays a role. You even sense that the enemies of Israel understand that this is something that's important to us. That this is something that's critical, even more than we ourselves understand it. One has the sense. And so for me, the use it or lose it is a factor. But then I come back to the original ideology that that I stated, the idea of we play a role in history. And I think that there's a hubris in that, that yes, we, without a doubt, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to be partners in bringing, bringing the redemption, and he wants us to be partners in bringing about the, you know, the establishment of the Jewish state and the Jewish presence in the Holy Land. But I think that there's a point by, at which we have to say, Ad kan yoter. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Yes, I want you to play a role and I want you to do your thing. But when I want you to come to my house, then that'll be, you'll know. Like, I don't, you know what I'm saying? I want you to build a Beit HaMikdash, but Shalom Koach. You cannot, like, yes, you can conquer the Jewish land, but I'm not sure that we can conquer uh, the, the Beit Hashem. And, the, and, and then it really comes back to me, like, resonate with you said, Bali, that, like, wh- wh- when is going to become time for us to be on Harabayit? I don't want Harabayit. I, I really, I have no desire to go up to a mountain, which is really, you know, and I've got to worry about some Arab policeman looking at me and seeing whether I'm mouthing Shema Yisrael or not mouthing Shema Yisrael. I don't think that's a mitzvah. I want to build a Beit HaMikdash. You know, like, you all know, I, I learned the Mishnah, and if you learn Mishnah, you've learned all of Kachim and all of Tarot, and you know what it means, you have a stronger sense of what it means to have a Mikdash-centered worship, which is totally foreign to our understanding of what Judaism is. It was just a different Jewish experience. But the idea of, well, I want to go on this mountain because that's the mountain where the Beit HaMikdash was, that's not what I yearn for. I think, and I think that the focus, it, perhaps on place, rather than function, rather than avodah, rather than Beit Elohim, I think sometimes that might be counterintuitive or detrimental and, and take us away from the goal as opposed to the goal itself.
Uh, yeah, Johnny. So, so I want to make uh, two points. Number one, you know, you talk about how the halakha doesn't say, you know, go to the harabite, but the halakha also doesn't say you should, you know, jog around the yeshuv. Fundamentally, the halakha says look after yourself, and you choose to do it in that way, which is great, by the way. Uh, Halakha says you should seek closeness to God, and, and quite clearly, and, and it weighs, the Harabite also says, and here are six hundred thirteen ways for you to come close to God that God wants. Okay, firstly, as you well know, Tariag is a lovely number, well, but most of those mixed spots the are able to be fulfilled today. Here's how so God wants the, you the to fact come that the, the fact that Shulchan Aruch doesn't say go to the Harabite doesn't, I, I don't think, that tells you anything one way or another. But the second point I'd like to make is the following. I'd, I'd hear you, and remember, I'm struggling out loud. Yeah, I'm not, no, it's all good. I'm not it's trying all good. to be... If you'd never go to the Kotel and say, you know, I, I live where I live, I, I connect to God wherever I am, fine. But I presume once in a while you've been to the Kotel. So if you're going to go that way, then the argument of I don't need to go basically what is like 150 meters up a ramp, you know, a little bit further, that that doesn't wash. So for me, one of the reasons is because of the psakim of my rebbeim and, and, and a certain sense of fear. I'm very, very clear about that. I'm very transparent. People can say, Johnny, you're ridiculous. Fine. You know, I'm, I'm laying it out there. But to say that I don't need to go to a place, but then you go to the place anyway. So in Monofshach, if you go to the Kotel, what's the difference? And just on, in any d- dimension of how you relate to a space, you well full know that the Kotel is an external wall built, you know, what was about uh, 90 years before the Chuban Abayit Sheni, as opposed to the Arabayit, which, which is everything. I don't go to the Kotel because it's the wall. You go there because of the Arabayit, Yes, because it's the place where we connect with the Makom Amikdash. So what's the difference if I go 90, 100 meters closer? What's the difference? Yes, I want to associate with the Makam Amigdash, but the act of walking up that ramp and going to that place, like, is it just I feel closer, so I feel more Kedusha? I mean, that's fine. I really, I'm not negating that. But I go to the Kotel because I want to feel that connection, and I feel that connection is important to me, but I don't feel the need to, I don't know if I feel the need to, I, I don't really understand the idea of, well, every meter closer I get. Meaning, I do understand the need that we should want to build a Beit HaMikdash. We should want to fulfill the Ratzon Hashem. We should want to bring the Korban Tamid every day, like you said. I, I think about the Korban a lot. You know, I wish more people understood, you know, like, what, what does God want from me? Not what do I want the religion to look like. But what does Hashem want? What did He say He wants the religion to look like? You know what I'm saying? And, then, and yes, I, of course I go to the Kotel. But my, my going to the Kotel is more about my wanting to, uh, to appreciate the Makom HaMikdash and connecting to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, rather than deciding how it is that I'm supposed to feel, at least to me. Molly, you wanted to respond. You know, I'm, I, I've got a lot of things swirling in my head, so I don't know if I'll be able to answer you coherently. Um, first of all, I agree with Johnny that you created a little bit of a false dichotomy, what's one of the target mitzvahs, what's not one of the target mitzvahs, right? Like if I said to you, you know, if our children are in the army, you'll say, well, there's a mitzvah fighting. Okay, but like, where do the lines fall? Of what it, you know? okay, Agreed, agreed, 100%. So, okay. Um, I also definitely agree with you that, like, you know, lo bekoach ki imberuchi, like, in terms of getting the har habayit. And, 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 and I, I, I think in general, like, I have those two sides always, like the idea of Mahona Mikdash, you know, like on the one hand, I have a great appreciation for it because, again, I see, I, I, if you look at it from the most positive perspective, you're like, look, Am Yisrael is basically saying to a Baruch Hu, right, 
we are we, like we are getting into mikdash mode we're getting closer to the geula and there's something very beautiful about coming to hashem with that sense and sensibility at the same time i think we have to be careful as you said to not flatten that and and, and um make that into purely ritualistic and 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 mechanical behaviors and understand that we only will that those things are intrinsically tied to our spiritual and ethical behavior um and uh, Levy said, I, I, you were going to say, I just want to interrupt. Am Yisrael is not in Beit HaMikdash mode. There are some, right. uh, okay. not, I don't want to use the word fanatics, some right. very focused people right. who are in Beit HaMikdash mode. Uh-huh. If so, Am Yisrael was in Beit HaMikdash mode, then we could talk about whether we're ready. Right. And that, then right. the, the, the entire tenor discussion about mm-hmm. how Habayit would be entirely different. I but agree with you. nowhere near. No, no, I, I totally agree with you, right? So, but I'm saying when I when I look at Mechon Mikdash, so on the one hand, I see it on the most simple level as, oh, what a nice place to bring my kids and they can learn about all kinds of interesting things. It's great to learn Mishnah, by the way. They have all the pictures from you. Oh, right. and they have amazing movies. It's great. To, it's, it's great. Um, <laughs> I'm a one-track no, pony, Johnny. I know. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, it is. It's a great way to learn about, about the Tukufa of, of the Mikdash. And I agree with you also, like, but to me, again, like I see all these things as historically connected. Like the more we see... Leil HaSeder, as the night that you bring the Korban Pesach fundamentally. The more we see Yom Kippur as the day in which the Avoda is at the center, it's not this thing that you mumble when you're tired in Shul and it's all about the Alchets. The Avoda is when you should be the most emotionally involved on Yom Kippur, right? And that's the center of the day. The more the more we become aware of that, I think, again, like it's like the cosmic wheels start shifting. So, so, so the fact that there are these like, you know, Fabrenta people building, you know, Kalim and looking for red heifers or, or refining Tchelet for that matter, right? All of these things. So... See, but Tchelet is not a good example because Tchelet is a mis- different. It also doesn't have any all kinds of political you know, uh, Tinder boxes attached to it. But so I see though, like I watch Machona Mikdash and I think it, it's, a, it's a two-sided coin and I pray that the positive will be the one that's dominant, which is a healthy, positive, like, um, again, it's all, this is all religious design, this was all going to be Rav Cook. Rav Cook has this beautiful image of, he, he has it twice. Once he talks explicitly about this young girl named Shoshana, and she's sick, and everybody's so sad, um, and then and then Shoshana wakes up and wants her doll, and that's a, and then everybody's so happy, and in, in, in another article, Mahalach Ethiopia Israeli says, when, when a person is sick, they lie in bed, they don't want to get up. The minute they get up and walk around the room, you see that they're healthy. So Rav Cook said, when you when you see that the Jewish people are pushing to return to their homeland, that's a sign that we're healthy, and that's a sign that we we like we're not sick anymore. We we have repented of our right. We are now. Kadosh Baruch Hu saying, you're not sick anymore. It's time. It's you're well. You're t- it's time to go home. It's time to get up. Um, and 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 so like, may it be that which is a kind of like a natural spiritual uh, movement, and may it not be which we've also seen negative, ugly political, as you said, trying to force, again, I think of as the Ma'apilim, trying to force things to happen uh, in ways that are, that you're, you're, you're rushing ahead and most of the country's not with you. Um, you're creating provocations that are inappropriate. Often it'll come with attitudes towards, you know, that are antithetical to Yehuda Glick's messaging. I don't want any of that stuff. Because if you don't have the proper spiritual orientation and the proper bedadim lechaveru, 
it's not a healthy thing, right? It's like that. Then you just like fall into the, the mistakes of Bayit Shani all again. Like, you know, I'll, I'll just be the, the, the guys who burned down the storehouses and forced the Jewish people to, to fight the Romans. What are you doing? Kashmir who's not with you, right? It's like, it's, or, or you're, you're in Bayit Rishon, you're Miyahu, right? Yeah, I, no, it's fine. Hashem can't destroy his Mikdash. Yes, he can if you're not in the proper spiritual place. And that's a very, very delicate balance. Does Hashem, are we where Hashem wants? Are we not where Hashem wants? We're not Nevi'im. We don't have Nevi'im. So what are we supposed to do? So I'll, I'll go back to the ending with the, with what Shlomo Levi said when we came down from Harabite. And I also want to say that when we did it, it was it was Pesach. And I, I want to just mention something else that I found very beautiful, which is that until that time, there was always this sense that there was a tension between the Olim Harabite and the police, right? Or the government. Because, like, they don't want provocations. They don't want too many people. When we went, the police were giving out little ptakim. It said, Chag Sameach um, Ola Yakar, right? Or Ola Yakar, Ola Yakara, La Arabayit. Like they were, they were, it was like positive. Like there when was, was like When was this? A, when was this? This was Pesach. I don't know how many years ago. Oh, it was a number just, of years ago. It was a number of years ago. So like, it could be, you know, again, our political, this country is, you know, ups and downs and ups and downs. But it was a nice moment. Like it felt like this Shat Chesed where like, this is, we're not, we're not, this is, this is a, there's like a, consensus that that like there's that this is legitimate and you know obviously it's still a lot of stress and tension around the whole concept but like there was this again it became a more like mainstream acceptable kind of thing to do and the fact that it felt unifying felt very very good uh, but when we came down Rav Shlomo when Yitzhak Levi said to us he said okay you, you were just in higher by it and then he said kind of the things that Ruby said which is we obviously realize that we're so far from what we want, which is the actual Mikdash up on Harabayit. How are we going to... And he said, the way you do it, we know. The Nevi'im tell us how, how to do that. He said, uh, you know, the more we work for for justice and righteousness here in this country and, and around the world, right? That's how we really build a, build a base of Mikdash. And I think that that's a really important lesson. And if we don't tie those two things together... Then, uh, then you're missing something. And I just want to tell you one more thing because just to push you back a little bit against your um, your rationalistic perspective, right? So, you know when you go through the hotel tunnels, and then there's this place mm-hmm. where you're standing, and they're like, "Look, through there, you see that? That's the Kodesh Kadoshi, right?" Um, I find that very powerful. Right? The as idea do I, that interestingly. You're... As do I, interestingly. Okay, so that's what I was curious about, right? So if you, if, if, if you, if you do find that powerful, then I, I would say to you, like, it's interesting for, I'd be interested to hear your reflections on, well, why, right? There does seem to be, for all of your halachic man, it's about the ritual and the service of God, the idea of, of, of that holiness of place does speak to you on some level. Yeah, but I'm saying I get closer in the Kotel than I, in the Kotel tunnel there. I get much closer there than I do in Harabayat. Much closer to the Makoma and the Kodesh Akadashim. I know, but... Uh, again, oh, physically, you're saying. Yeah. So what's yeah, the idea? Just walking up a ramp, being on that mountain? It's yeah, a more the of a, mountain? It's, I don't know. It's more of a political statement. You're, you you're closer close? to the holiness if you're on the mountain than you are if you're at the retaining wall, no? Says you. I mean, it says you. Physically closer? Doubt it. Okay. Not true at all. But I mean, okay, I, I sort of want to, everybody who's going to yeah. listen to this is going to respond in their way, and that's kind of the point of this discussion. I want to change the, the I just want to ask a different question, a related question, obviously, as we, as we think about Tisha B'Av. Do you think our community mourns the lack of a Beit HaMikdash? I mean, the whole point of 
Tisha B'Av is Chorban But do you think that our community, and you can choose to answer this as religious Zionist community in Israel or modern Orthodox community in, in around the world or both, actually mourns Chorban Or, I mean, of course we mourn the Holocaust, we throw in there, and we throw in the pogroms, and we throw in Tachvetat, and we throw in all the stuff. We throw it all in. But when we focus on all the stuff, do you think that we, I guess, willingly choose to not mourn, or like it's okay mourning, but if you said no, this is only the Beit Amigdash, do you think that Tishabab would be what it was? Uh, Johnny, I'll let you go first. Um, let's ask this question about any random day of the year, because a point raised by Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein in many different ways, uh, very powerfully in the interviews that he had uh, with, uh, with Nav- Navon is that we have a reduced sense of dependence on God today, in general. So, you know, wake up on a Tuesday morning, do we feel we're missing something in terms of that sense of need of God? And I'd say, we don't enough. So then when you ask that question, you supersize it to the Beit HaMikdash, which was a place where we sense the glory of God in a greater level, as well as a connection to other people. Do we feel that... uh, that loss? No, because overall we lack that sense of dependence. We don't feel we need to go to a place physically. We don't feel that that would necessarily do it for us. Obviously there are different attitudes towards uh, Korbanot which complicate things even further. So there's a whole series of layers why many Jews, they may say the words of the tefillah, which we say you know, thrice daily, but nevertheless, in terms of a certain yearning, you know, a, a need, uh, a, a realize that there's something missing in their life. If you ask me, and I, I've given talks about this over the years, many Orthodox Jews, here I'm not even speaking outside, outside the Orthodox world, many Orthodox Jews, if you ask them hand on heart, they'd say, no, I, I, that's not what I'm looking for, that's not what I feel I'm missing and though this may well be a dogma in Judaism, I say it because I'm expected to, but I don't necessarily feel it. However, I'll just briefly mention, uh, yeah, I'll briefly mention uh, a talk that I listened to yesterday at the talk conference. And Rav Yaakov Medan was basically asked to comment on the state of religious Zionism, and he kind of opened up with, you know, Rav Medan um, is awesome. He's the best. Okay, so he basically he basically said, I, I, "I'm not looking for the base of Mikdash, and I'm look, not looking for the time of Moshiach." And everyone's like, "What? What is this rabbi saying?" And he basically said, "Listen, in order to have a Sanhedrin, which of course you need alongside the Beit Mikdash, you have to have smicha. According to the Rambam in his parish Mishnah, to have smicha, you have to have cons- rabbinic consensus." He says, we don't have that, you know, two Jews, three opinions. So there's such foundational work to be done to be able to get to the point where we have the chance to realize this prophecy. He's not saying we shouldn't hope. Of course we should hope. Of course we should dream. But we should begin with the doing. And the doing is talking with people. The doing is when Adam lechavero. Like I mentioned before, how we look at the Beit HaMikdash is crucial. A lishkat hanavi in the in the Knesset, like he wrote, he wrote a whole plan of how like where the Sanhedrin is. I know he brought it. He Knesset said anybody wants to out. read it. He's the greatest, right? right. He's like he's like a so, modern but, day navi. He might have a new book. Yeah, he there. totally is. Yeah, but the the key point is, I, I think that people don't feel that lack because they either think there's so many impediments or they don't feel that sense of dependence. 
I personally, I say I moved every day because of the things I do. In short, about that sense of avodah, although obviously I'd love it to be even sharper in terms of my body, mind, and soul. Um, nevertheless, we should certainly be moved by what we're lacking in terms of an anchor for Am Yisrael, in terms of a focus for avodah, in terms of our God consciousness. And so even if somebody says, I struggle to understand how the temple is missing my life okay but struggle how god is missing in the lives of so many people and if you need statistics just look out there and we know that's to be the case so the 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 awareness of god's presence is missing in the mindset of many and that's something we need to work towards molly yeah so that's why i like when johnny talks before me because he you know he says it so eloquently i was trying to figure out how to say this politely i think many people do not miss or long for the Beit HaMikdash, but I think that's because they don't have a fully developed vision of what the Beit Midrash is meant to be in ideal. And mm. they're, they're kind of either creating what they think the Beit HaMikdash would look like if we built it today, or maybe to be more charitable, they're thinking about the flaws of the Beit HaMikdash, you know, even when we had it and, and it was not being maximized um, and perhaps even being abused. Um, and I think, therefore, that that's what people think. Like, oh, I don't want to be in Hamidrash, even, you know, as Johnny said, uh, you know, what about all those just giant slaughterhouse? I don't want to be in Hamidrash. Think, think about all the machlokot uh, that would be. I don't want to be. Millions of reasons why, like, they're like, better not, right? But I think that that's a fundamental mistake because they're not thinking about what, when we say we want the Beit HaMikdash, we don't mean that we want a physical building on top of Harabayat. When we say we want a Beit HaMikdash, we, what we mean is that we want the, um, the prophecy of Yeshayahu Bet to come true, right? We want a place that's that's going to be a center of of peace, of justice, of unity, of harmony um, for the Jewish people in particular, and for the entire world. That's what the mm-hmm. is. And, and no, no, wait, wait. Before that, and it's, it's the it's the place of the presence of God. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, like you, yes, it's, but, but, it's before you do any of that stuff, isn't it? Like you're, you're like, I don't need a big yes. dash for that. Why do we need a big dash for all those things you said? No, I mean, theoretically. Well, no, no. Theoretically, yes, you know, you no, okay. peace and no, you have I United Nations plat- for that. And Please, you, yeah, okay. bid is on the wall of the United well, Nations. You can't do any of isn't it. Isn't it? Not the United real. Nations. They're Every, on the wall of the United Nations. Okay, I just finished reading my, my Chronicles of Narnia in the last battle. Um, he basically describes heaven, and he says all the countries of the world are a, a pale imitation, and in heaven you have like the real thing. So I say the same thing: the United Nations sticking Yeshayahu Bet on their wall, um, or you know anybody saying, "Oh, we could do this." The real thing is only when God is there, and all of these values are emanating from the source of all these values, which is God. So, I'm, I, you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm just looking for the inscription. They're on the mountain, and then all these things can happen smoothly and perfectly and wonderfully. Without God on that mountain, it's that's what that's what people don't want to be in Mikdash. And I think that's an interesting way that you're saying it. They're like, I don't want to be in Mikdash. It's just going to be a giant political whatever. Yeah, because if God's not there, and if God's not at the center, and if people don't serve God as at the center, then you're going to get the you know knockoff copy. But if we can do it, mm. then we'll have Johnny's version. Maybe what we should yearn for on, on Tisha B'Av is the yearning for Beit Hamikdash. We should yearn no for one. the people. Should actually yearn for Hamikdash. All right, I wanna, we're going to conclude the podcast. I'm gonna we're going to do a quick lightning round. I'll start myself. so You guys have time to think. 
What is your go-to piece of culture on Tisha B'Av? Meaning, once the keynote are over, and uh, you know you've sat through as many shiurim as you possibly can, and it's eight thirty in the morning. Um, so, what's your what's your go-to culture that you're willing to admit that you actually go to? And so, mine that I'll share with is the autobiography of Rabbi Israel Meir Lau, which I, I don't know if you've read it. If you haven't read it, of course you have to read it, and uh, especially not not the sections of his rabbinate, which are the last parts. But the section about his, you know, the, the, the destruction of his town and his experiences, of course, in the Holocaust. And there's just a ridiculously moving description of when he, of, of this man, this person who loses his whole family and visits the, the children who are the survivors in the refugee camp after the war. And I cry every time, even now I'm getting emotional thinking about it. So if you're looking for something moving, read Rabbi Sorrell Mayer Laos. I don't remember what the name of the book is, but... Uh, that's what it's in Hebrew. It's just unbelievably powerful and moving. Um, Johnny's looking around his bookcase. So Molly, what's your what's your culture? Uh, BBC, the BBC Rome um, TV show. That's what you watch it every time. Meaning BBC did the the Judea the Judea section. Meaning they the BBC did a thing on the history of the Roman Empire. Ooh. Have it's amazing, and they have a um, episode or two. I don't even remember on the, um, the conquering of Judea. And it's, it's, it's told from Josephus's perspective, right? Like Josephus is Kilu the hero, but if you know your Jewish history, um, you understand exactly what they're doing, right? You understand who's who and what's what and how they're portraying the Sikarim and, and, it's, and the, the watching the Beis HaMikdash burn, it's, 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 it's incredibly powerful. I advise you to watch with your kids, but... Um, hmm. I, it's, a, it's online, I assume. Back. It's available online. Yes, I think so. I, we, we, so we, that you're we just reminding me, last year they made this animated movie of like Chorban Habayit in Hebrew. Johnny, I'm sure you watched yeah, it. Yeah, right? yeah, Did I remember that. Mm -hmm. Right? So yeah. do you recommend that? Was oh, it, Agada. I haven't seen that one, right? Say for, see, yeah, it's brand new. Brand new. I'm I have, sure Johnny I want, Maybe I'll watch that this year. I haven't seen that yet. Okay. Johnny, what's your go-to culture on Tisha B'Av? Uh, I have a couple of essays I like to review. review. Arya Kaplan has a an essay called Judaism's Saddest Day or The Saddest Day. I have actually a book which describes kind of a day in the life of the of the Beta Mikdash. And we're supposed to think about what's sad, but on a day in which we can't understand what we've lost unless we know it. And so I try and imagine, you know, what that was and it and it kind of almost breaks my heart. Uh when that when you have a, an awareness of the glory. It's the same thing I had when, you know, by the Kotel tunnels there's a augmented reality experience of of listening of seeing the base of mcdash and just like i just came out weeping that that's that's as good i mean as good as we're going to see until it happens and uh, and just to kind of feel that you're experiencing that uh i'm of two minds about people who uh of, of people who spend time watching holocaust movies on Tisha B'Av, I'm well aware that we're supposed to keep a focus basically until Chatzot. I generally go to long Kinot, so I try and be in that mood until Chatzot for sure. After that point, basically uh, do what one can, and, and uh, there are times when I watch uh, uh, movies uh, of the Shoah, and you know I, I can mention the classic ones, things like Schindler's List, which uh, we've seen many times, and, and uh, yeah, it, it does deep things to us all. Sure. I want to say one thing just more about this because I think people make this distinction like should we be mourning the Besa Mikdash or should we be should we be mourning all those other things Ruby said as get thrown in. I don't see I see it as one thing. Meaning cuz we lost the Mikdash 
we were thrown into Galut and we were thrown into all these tragedies. That's what we're mourning, right? It's not an either or. So. Oh, no, I totally agree. No, I just, no. sometimes in the morning of the other things, we forget that it, it started with Horbet Amigdash. That was my... Right. Uh, all right, we're going to yeah, stop I here. with that. We're going to stop here. Thanks for this wonderful discussion. Um, hopefully, we'll get this out actually ASAP so we can people can listen to it before Tisha B'Av or on Tisha B'Av, you know, if you're, if you're bored and lying in bed. Okay, uh, you can find us on Facebook, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Maybe when we post also, we'll do one post where everybody shares a link to their, uh, to their culture model. You can share a link to that uh, BBC thing if you're available. I want to thank Molly Brevsky, Robert Johnny Solomon, and my son Patasha for our music. Uh, this is the RZ Weekly Podcast, and we'll probably see you uh, towards the end of the summer. Have a great weekend. And a meaningful time.